Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we're going to be going into the Salt and Light closet and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the spring of 2021. First off, we're joined by author Emily Wilson, who writes to young women in order to help them become the women that they were created to be. And then we meet singer-songwriter Wade McNutt. In our second half hour, author Andy Bannister tells us whether Christians and Muslims worship the same God. And at the end of the program, we reconnect with singer-songwriter Hannah Schaefer. We begin now with Becoming the Woman You Were Created to Be. In 2018, Emily Wilson Hussam published her second book, Go Bravely, Becoming the Woman You Were Created to Be, and with it, helped tens of thousands of young Catholic women who struggle with all kinds of things from insecurity and body image to issues of relationships and sexuality. And that's because Emily has dedicated her ministry to telling women what they need to hear in truth and in love. And in response to popular demand, Emily created a companion journal to help guide her readers through each chapter of Go Bravely and to help them embrace their role as daughters of God. And so to tell us more, I'm now joined by Emily Wilson Hussam. Emily, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks so much. It's a delight to be here all the way from Southern California. I know. And it's, uh, it's I was going to say you're warmer there than here, but it's summer here. So I think we're probably about the same temperature. Absolutely. Um, that's it. Um, how did you end up kind of focusing your ministry specifically uh, for women? Like, where did that happen for you? When I was in college, I went to school for broadcast journalism. And a very long story short is that one day after mass, I was about to graduate with my degree. I planned to be a sports reporter. Oh, yeah. And the pastor at the end of mass said, um, one of our elderly parishioners has passed away and she had a huge book collection. Her book collection will be on the tables outside after mass. And you're welcome to pick up anything that you would like that looks good to you and and as many books as you'd like. Uh So I thought, okay, I'll go outside and pick out a book. Um, And I found the encyclical in book form on the dignity and vocation of women, Mulieris Dignitatum by Pope St. John Paul II. Yeah. And I looked at it and I picked it up and I thought, oh, how interesting. Okay, I'll take this home and read it. And it's, it's not long. I think the booklet is about 90 pages. And I read that book and the Lord spoke so clearly to my heart. I called a friend that night. I said, um, I just read this, this thing, this book, this encyclical, and I know that my life is never going to be the same mm. because when I, I had gone to Arizona state university, it's a mm. university known for lots of parties and, you know, just right. filth and sin. And I had seen the brokenness of women in a very, very um, raw and real way Mm -hmm. um, in the women that surrounded me and how badly they needed Jesus and the truth and the beauty of a pursuit of virtue and just love and compassion for where they were at because of the lies that our culture had been feeding them. Mm -hmm. And it all just came together. The Lord's like, I brought you to this university that, you know, a lot of people are like, Emily, you like, you love your faith. Why would you go to Arizona state? And like he said, I brought you there and I like led you to the point of this book for good reason. Yeah. And that's how it all began. Yeah. Now, but Go Bravely is not your first book. I know that you started with with a devotional looking at seven women in the the Old Testament, correct? Um, Yes. That um, one is called I Choose the Sky. I Choose the Sky. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think that there's a difference between a devotional. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and the kind of book that Go Bravely is, why did you feel that you needed to write Go Bravely? In the, and, and that title, I mean, that's a, that's a strong title. Yes, it is. The, it's um, out of a quote from St. Joan of Arc. She would say to her soldiers, oh, yeah. go bravely, all will be well, have okay. no fear. Yeah. So I wrote Go Bravely. It's not a devotional. Um, it's no. just really discussing 20 different topics that a young woman goes mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. My whole goal is to make faith um, something that a woman can incorporate into her, her everyday life. A young modern woman who doesn't mm-hmm. you know, want to be a weirdo, right? Jesus freak that I've been called a thousand million times, yeah. but who wants to be a woman who lives her faith in a radiant and beautiful way that's attractive to other people so that she can tell other people about Jesus and Go Bravely just discusses 20 aspects of every young woman's life and how she can bring faith to be a part of that facet of her life. Right. So what kind of response did you get that made you want to write the companion journal? I have so many women, um, especially who lead groups. So there are groups at high schools and universities and parishes Mm -hmm. where they have 20 or 25 young women who walk through the book together. And it's really makes me so happy because um, friendship as women can be a tricky thing to navigate and a difficult thing Mm -hmm. to navigate. And so I wanted to build community. And so many group leaders said, you know, the book is so great, but I struggled to think of the right questions for the chapters and things like that. So I really the Go Bravely Companion Journal for the young women who walk through it individually and want a deeper dive into the topics, but also for groups. So young women in these small groups, in these big groups can get together and have ways to go deeper in friendship and in their relationships with the Lord. Okay. So, so I, I, I'm glad you said that. So it's very much geared to kind of the, the group study. Um, Can you explain without, without kind of giving too much, but kind of explain our listeners how you chose to, to format the journal so that it can be used in a, yeah, in a group? absolutely. So there is a little summary of every chapter in the beginning of the week, the, the, the chapter that it's on, and uh-huh. then it goes into questions. So it's more reflection questions, like taking a sentence out of that chapter or a theme out of that chapter and really helping them ponder something um, that I think is important to ponder as a young woman and mm-hmm. where the Lord might be calling them to look a little deeper into their hearts and into his heart. And then each uh, chapter closes with a prayer for them to really think on and pray on um, throughout that time that they're going through that chapter. So some groups, they'll do one chapter a week, or depending how okay. on how often they meet, they'll do two or three chapters a week if they meet, um, you know, once a month. Uh, and so that is the way that it's designed for um, an individual or for a group to walk together. Right. You also have lots of really great quotes from uh, saints and, and uh, holy people. Um, I'm yes. intrigued by the fact that the and I think that you, this is what you referred to when you said summary for each, uh, each chapter, it's actually written by like, these are quotes from, 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 from readers that wrote yes. to you, right? Yeah. So each, I have, you know, a huge community of women who has read Go Bravely. And I asked, um, women online and in my Facebook community, what was your favorite chapter Okay. and why was it your favorite chapter? So there's little testimonials. So mm-hmm. the, so the person walking through the journal can feel even a little bit more like a sisterhood. Like there are women who have walked through this book before her and walking with her through that book. Um, and that it's a really a sense of community. Yeah. And that was really great to hear, um, those testimonies. It is. And in fact, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say not that it's not for me, but I mean, I'm not a woman, but I found that that those little 
testimonials at the beginning were definitely the, the what what drew me in the most. Um, can you? I know that you don't only do talks for women, but that's the majority mm -hmm. of the talks that you do. Um, how do you think that those talks and that work you've done for women actually have prepared you to speak to men? That's a really good question. Um, well, I'm a mother of sons. I have two <laughs> sons, which is... That's how God's punishing you. <laughs> a, no, it's a wonderful thing. I love yes. it. I give so much emotion yes. and heart into all the girls that he's given me in ministry. And now yes. I can raise my sons and all Amen. the girls tell me there's a very big deficit of good and holy men. Yes. So I'm trying to raise good and holy men in yes. my house. Um, but just looking at, you know, I, I think one of the biggest things is that I really have a good sense of what, where women are and they have shared with me, you know, the journey that they've taken in where they want like men to know that they are. So one of my things is sharing with men um, about what I see in women, what women need from good and holy and strong men, not what they're looking for, you know, necessarily in dating relationships, but mm -hmm. in authentic friendship, mm -hmm. how can men, you know, uh, St. John Paul II said, it's the honor of every man to uphold the dignity of every woman. So I really have passion for helping man, men understand what that means. Um, before the pandemic, one of my goals was to, if it was a possibility, begin to speak at men's conferences yeah. for having little workshops for dads who are raising daughters and helping dads um, do that in a good and holy way and letting them, you know, kind That's of guide them idea. in that. Yes, very needed. So that was a pre-pandemic idea. And we'll see if the Lord has some things in store for me to kind of share what I know about raising young women to be strong, glorious women to dads everywhere. Yeah. I, I, I hope that that happens because I do think that there's a need there, you know, how to, how to be a dad to a daughter. Absolutely. Yeah. Also, we also have two boys. So my wife is, <laughs> is, uh, is the one. Yeah. I, I don't know what's worse. Girls or boys. Boys are yeah. great. Boys have been good. Well, it's a challenge to raise any children in yes. this day and age to be saints. So we are all yes. in this together. Yes, we are. And, and I thank you for the work that you're doing in helping men and women uh, become saints. Emily, uh, it's been really good meeting you. And uh, thank you for writing the book. I'm going to say I'm good. Men are not big journalists journal, mm -hmm. but, but that doesn't mean that men can't, there are men who like journaling and this book uh, go bravely, maybe would be interesting again for dads with daughters or for men to who are in relationships or, I mean, absolutely. I don't know. And, and for the, for the women that are listening, if they think that they can only uh, benefit from this book or the companion journal, if they're in a group, I don't think so. I think that they, you can it's still true. do this on your own. So absolutely. I would encourage everyone to, to go check it out. Emily, thank you again for uh, telling us about your work today. And uh and I hope that your ministry continues and that you can do more, especially with Thanks. dads and daughters. I would love that. Thanks so much, Deacon, for having me on. God bless. Emily Wilson-Hussam is a speaker, a YouTuber, and she's the author of I Choose the Sky, Go Bravely, Becoming the Woman You Were Created to Be, and Awaken My Heart, all published by Ave Maria Press. You can find out more at emilywilsonministries.com. If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to the rest of the show, just go to our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Wade McNutt, with the title track of his new album, Fall Into Your Love. I will fall into your love, Christ. Fall into your love. My Savior, 
That was Wade McNutt with Fall Into Your Love from his album of the same name. Wade McNutt is a 
pianist, a piano instructor, composer, liturgical musician, singer, songwriter. And now with this new album, he's a recording artist. And we're saying, we're saying that Fall Into Your Love is his first album. But in reality, Wade McNutt has recorded like 11 instrumental piano albums. You can check them all out on Spotify. This new album is a collection conceived over the last year, and it includes 14 songs covering a whole range of musical styles. And two of the songs, including the title track that we just heard, um, are published by Worship Now Publishing. And so it is uh, with great pleasure that I welcome Wade McNutt to the program. Wade, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Hey, thank you so much for uh, inviting me. It's good to be here. No, I'm, Let's I'm talk glad. about some stuff, man. I'm ready. Let's go. You're ready. You're ready. Should, should I tell people that I, I thought that your website, Piano Meditations, was actually Piano Medications? Mm. <laughs> Pianomedications.com. Yeah, it's a little bit different of a piano vibe, I think, with medications. But although... Uh, my the site that you know that it was built around originally was all my instrumental cds right which can put you asleep uh it's good for road <laughs> rage too uh so in a way it's kind it of could work medication. yeah it, it could work it could work i can see that um but before we talk about any of that i want to just back up so like did you grow up you're, you're in texas did you grow up in texas were you, were you catholic yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah i'm one of those like proud texans too yeah uh, <laughs> grew up catholic uh playing in the church although i did uh you know when you have some sort of musical ability you kind of get pulled in by all yes. kinds of churches and so in, in the little small town i was in hereford texas uh i did play at the catholic church but then i played at uh, the nazarene church and trinity and right. baptist and uh, all rounds. over the place too which yeah. is so cool because i've been, yep. been part of so many communities uh and they're just full of beautiful people and right um, so yeah, so that's been a neat part of the journey, uh, is doing that. But yeah, yeah. Did you? I, I guess you started playing piano when you were little. Did your parents make you take piano lessons? How was that? I did. Yeah, you know how little kids will, they'll they'll hit the piano keys. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Apparently, according to mom, I didn't do that. I just uh, was figuring stuff out the whole time. I would play a note and I would play another, and I'd put it nice. together. And yeah, I just never. That was never part of. So I was always trying to figure out music. I think the first thing I ever did was pots and pans and playing yeah. the drums. And mm -hmm. um, so that's a good way to annoy your siblings. Um, yeah. Not as much as, uh, I don't know, kind of both are, are pretty good for it. I, I have memories of my brothers turning the TV up so loud that it just wasn't fun to play the piano anymore. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, and that's the way they handled me. Are they, are they musicians as well? Your brothers no. or no. So you're no, the only one. No, eh? Brothers aren't uh, parents are not really, uh, but I do have some further down the line uh, piano members that uh, piano members, uh, family members that, that are musicians. So. Right. And you, you, you have a music degree from university. That's what you studied. I do. Yeah. I went to a, a college called South Plains College. It's a junior college. Okay. Uh, but it was one of the first schools to ever start training people to do other kinds of music besides classical. So they, they started with the bluegrass program and uh, eventually okay. went into country rock and roll, nice. R&B. And, and so that's the, the program that I went through uh, because it's the music I loved. You know, they train you mm -hmm. to go to Nashville and LA, yeah, yeah, New yeah. York City and, you know, be, be part of uh bands not just a, a marching band or, mm -hmm. or any classical stuff so i went there uh was out uh, for a couple years finished my bachelor's degree and then uh, a job opening opened up and i took my piano teacher's job because he retired nice so that's um, what you're teaching now yeah so yeah so then i was there for eight years uh and th and then i started 
waking up in the middle of the night with visions of something else I needed to be doing. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of cool because right now it's I'm starting to see the fulfillment of uh, that vision. I resigned in 2016, but but I resigned with nothing uh, like no equipment, no Uh album, no. And so here I am uh, releasing this album. We, We have all this equipment, a trailer where we're like ready to go uh, that me and the family, me and my, my wife and my four kids. Oh my gosh. Okay. Ready to get going so, on ministry. <laughs> so no, and I do want to get to the, to the new album, but yeah. so like, but, but so during all that time, even after you resigned at the, at the college, uh-huh. where, did you continue teaching online? Cause you do like on, you have videos yeah. where you teach people how to play piano by ear or whatever. Like yeah, you're, you're still doing that. That was the great thing about being at the colleges. You taught so many ranges of students from, never touched a piano before to, you know, seasoned mm-hmm. uh, pianist. And, and so I really got a feel for how to teach people. When I released my first piano meditation, uh, Christian piano meditation album, mm-hmm. I thought, how can I promote this thing? And so I thought, maybe I'll do a lesson online and teach how I played this. Well, then the lessons took off way more than the, than the music the ever did That's initially. Funny. Yeah. And, and so then I started getting all these followers on YouTube and I thought, well, maybe I should create a website or something. Uh, so a few years later, uh, we saved up and we, we did our first website, pianochops.com, uh-huh. uh, which teaches a range of music. But I would say it's pretty heavily toward uh, church musicians mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of respects because a lot of those people find their way over right. to the site. So, so when I left the school, uh, that's what I was doing was building up that business. And that business right. has been helping feed into. That's a great so so you mentioned the dream literally and maybe also Uh not so literally was that kind of the the catalyst or did something else change that made you want to like were you writing songs all along anyway an angel came to me said that my (laughs) wife is going to have a baby um it was a big surprise i was i was uh scared no um no the dream I, i think it was that, and you know, this restlessness that you feel inside. Yeah, yourself. I yeah, think yeah. sometimes God gives you this restlessness. And, yes, yes. And, um, and I just knew I, I actually had applied for a job came up at a, a camp, at, uh, I think somewhere in Georgia. And so my wife and I applied to take over the camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't get it. We didn't even get an interview, uh, which is fine. But I think it was a, a, a big tell that, man, we need to be like looking. to do ministry to open. And, yeah, we need to see what's next. And and uh, we, we even tried to buy a bigger house in that town and the contract would fall through three days before, like wow. two or three times in a row. So you and, really uh, felt that it was like a call to do specific to do ministry, like work, lead worship kind of exactly. thing more actively. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the vision uh, is, you know, when you go on a retreat and you, you have this new fire inside of you and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah, you just, yeah. you, you kind of get back on the train of, all right, I got a prayer. I got to get my family lined up. I got to, you know. I think we all need that boost every once in a while. Um, but part of the vision is trying to bring, bring something that's very high quality uh, to parishes, big parishes, small parishes that can't afford it, mm-hmm. bring it everywhere and, and give parishes uh, people that, that little boost to jump into their faith or maybe the first time ever to go, I should look into this faith thing, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I've been going to church all my life and I hadn't looked into it yet. Yeah. So. Yeah. And then, so tell me a bit about the album, uh, like with these songs that you had been written over yeah. the last, or did you actually write the whole thing last year? Yeah. So some of them have been songs that I've been working on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a, a file of shame, I call it. Of yeah. you, you just write lots and lots of songs and some of them aren't good. 
but I, I took the good ones I've been riding. And then during the uh, pandemic, mm. uh, four or five, six more came out uh, that were good ones. There were more than that. Uh, and yeah, so then I jumped on. Let's let's make this recording happen. My engineer who manages a band and does all kinds of stuff. OK, his schedule was canceled. Yeah, so of course. He said he's like I said, I, I contacted him. So let's meet up. I'm ready to do an album. He said, how about next week? Nice. All right, let's go. So what would you say? What would you say? Uh, we know what the title track is. Yes. But what would the album, what would you say if the songs are kind of, they feel like they're sort of about a lot of things, what would you say the album is about? Yeah. Um, I think you can just kind of see the journey of, of uh, my family and, and I, and uh, everything is from personal experience and, and stuff that we felt over time. So um but more than anything, what the title track says, you know, falling into oh, the love dear. of Christ, um, being open to that and knowing that that's what we ultimately uh, need. Everything kind of wraps itself around mm-hmm. that one, one big theme. Yeah, I like that. I like that, especially we just finished doing an interview uh, about the devotion to the sacred heart. Yeah. Um, and that's the thesis coming up uh, next week. So I think that that song, when I finished that interview and I said, and coming up is, you know, Wade McNutt with fall into your love. And I thought, what a perfect song yes. to lead us into that devotion to the sacred heart. Mm-hmm. Um, Wade, I hope that you're still writing some more songs and that you're going to be recording and so that we can get to hear some, some more of this good stuff. You and my wife, she's <laughs> like, you need to, ri- I'm tired of hearing these songs, write some more. Oh, so, good. Yeah. Good. At least she likes your music and she's it's, not telling you to stop writing. <laughs> yeah. She is particular about some of this. Yeah. That's a good point though. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, Wade, it's been really good meeting you. I, yes. I love the music. I hope that there's more to come and, uh, sure. and blessings on you to you and your family and, and in your, in, in your ministry, that's just beginning. Absolutely. Hopefully we run into each other here in the I, future. I, I, I hope so too. Take care. God bless. Thank you. God bless. You can learn all about Wade McNutt at his website, wademcnutt.com. And make sure you check him out on Spotify and check out his YouTube channel. Also, so you can learn some piano playing there. And also the website he mentioned, pianochops.com for uh, some easy piano training. Um, If you missed any part of this interview, head on over to our website, slmedia.org slash podcast, because all our programs are archived there. Now to take us out, here is Wade McNutt with Now and Forever from his new album, Fall Into Your Love. And from the rising to the setting sun, the beginning to the end, we praise the name of the beloved one, now and forever. Yeah.
listening to Wade McNutt with Now and Forever from his album Fall Into Your Love on this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at esomedia.org slash podcast. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Now, we've all been told that the three Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, that we all believe in the same God. We all believe in one God. The Quran includes many of the same stories that are in the Bible. I think that many Muslims would say that they worship the God of Abraham, the God of Ishmael, and the God of Isaac. But do we have the same understanding of that God? Are we just saying that we worship the same God in an attempt to overcome religious divisions? These are the very questions that Andy Bannister addresses in his new book, Do Muslims and Christians Worship the Same God? And to tell us more, I am now joined by Andy Bannister from his home in Scotland. Andy, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Pedro, it's great uh, to be with you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. No, it's good. And I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, I, I told you earlier that when I heard you had written the book, because it's a topic that, that I've thought about many, you know, a lot. Um, let me ask you first, why, why do you think we need this book? Mm. Well, the backstory, very simply, is I think we need the book because so many people assume that the answer is yes, as you said in your, in your intro. I certainly did. When I was a young Christian, I had yeah. Muslim friends. I assumed, oh, they believe in one God. I believe in one God. Must mm. be the same. And then as I sort of stumbled in my late 20s into studying Islam academically, I'm an unusual Christian. My PhD is in Islamic studies. And I began actually reading the Quran and digging deeply into it and dialoguing with many Muslims. I was like, actually, this is very, very different. And, uh, and that led me to the conclusion, actually, the Quran's view of God is very, very different to the Bible's. And so I felt there was actually a need uh, to just get people thinking about the question, what do we mean when we say God? That's the big takeaway from the book. Right. I think, Andrew, and, is that people use the word God and don't unpack what they mean by it. Right. And, and, I, and I thought, I mean, that is what the book is about, but, I, but you chose to ask, to go, go about it in a particular way by asking four questions. Okay, so, so can you just take us through what those questions are? Maybe don't give us the answers, but, but tell us what the yeah. questions are um, and why those questions are the ones that we need to be asking. Exactly. So the four questions I introduced in the book are, um, is there a God? And uh, if so, what is God like? Um, who are human beings? Well, you know, what does it mean to be a human being? What's gone wrong with the world? And what's the solution? And I say, by the way, those are great questions for dialoguing with anybody of a different faith. If you're yeah. a, a Christian talking to an atheist or a Buddhist or a Hindu, great questions. But with our Muslim friends, really good questions to just dig into what we each believe. And uh, the answer is that Muslims and Christians believe very different things around those questions. So not just who is God, but for example, a question like what is wrong with the world? Mm. Maybe without giving too much away, what are some key differences that you found? And why is that question so important in, in pointing to who God is? Yeah, well, basically, I would say the, the, the second, third and fourth questions flow out of the first one, because uh -huh. depending on who God is, that affects, well, what does it mean when God creates human beings? Does he just create robots? Or does okay. he create people who are in his image? And in terms of what's gone wrong, it's a, there's a massive issue here, isn't there, around, you know, is it simply that human beings are a little bit forgetful and with a, you know, with a bit of help from God, perhaps a few moral commandments tossed our way, we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and everything be okay? Or is it actually more drastic 
Is there something actually deeper wrong with us such that it might need something like like Jesus uh, to deal with it? And the analogy I use in the book, right, if you go to your your doctor and your doctor says, you know, those stomach pains you have, Pedro, they're actually really serious. That's actually stomach cancer you've got. Mm -hmm. And you take it and you go, oh, I want a second opinion. And you take a second opinion and the other doctor says, no, you know, it's just acid reflux. It's actually quite important you discover which diagnosis is right, because one is ultimately going to kill you. The other is just a slight inconvenience. And I think the same is true spiritually. And I say I would say Islam has a very superficial understanding of what's gone wrong. Christianity has a very radical diagnosis of what's gone wrong and then a radical solution. Is it possible that with those differences Mm-hmm. that we could still say that we worship the same God. We just have a different understanding of who that God is. Yeah. I mean, I would say one of the things I explore in the book right at the, in the beginning is look, there are different ways of thinking about difference, right? I use an analogy in the book of, you know, uh, take a, take the actor Leonardo DiCaprio. You know, I think he's the worst thing ever to come out of Hollywood. I think he's useless, completely wooden. My wife thinks he's fantastic. You yeah. hear us talk about him. You might think we were talking about different actors, but we have, different we actually have the different views of the same actor on the other hand let's imagine that you and i as we talk discover we both have got a friend who lives in downtown toronto called steve Mm -hmm. and we become convinced he's the same person initially but then Mm -hmm. as we describe steve i say my friend steve is six foot your friend steve is five foot my friend loves the maple leaves your friend can't abide them um you know my friend is kind and generous yours is a bit of a bully and the list goes on and on how big do the differences have to become before we have to recognize this is not just a minor disagreement, but we are actually talking about somebody different. And what I think is going on as you read the Quran's description of God and the Bible's description of God, those differences stack up. And without going into huge detail, Peter, in the book, I say the Bible, I think, has a number of key attributes for God. God is relational. God can be known. God is holy. God is love. And God has suffered in the person of Christ and the cross mm-hmm. to, to put right what's gone wrong with us. The Quran takes those five characteristics and denies them, rejects them, or throws them out the window entirely and replaces them with other ones that are not just slightly different, but are radically different. I mean, the question, for example, of whether or not God is love, that's pretty profound. It's the heart of the identity yeah. of the God of the Bible, the God of the Quran, the Bible, the Quran would have no, no time for that idea. Right. And just to be sure, so we, what you're saying is that, that all these distinctions point to the fact that we are actually talking about two different gods as opposed to the fact that maybe muslims just have the wrong understanding of who god is i think there comes a point where it looks like i think that is that is going on and what i would what i would also say in the book and I mean, this is quite important actually that i also say you do meet muslims who are certainly closer i think to mm-hmm. the you know, to the God of the Bible. I've met many Muslims across the years who've said to me, you know, well, actually, Andy, I believe in a God of love. And rather than say to them, oh, no, that's not the God of the Quran. I found it quite helpful to say, you know what? You're right. God is a God of love. Yeah. The God you're describing to me sounds more like the God of the Bible. You know, come on home. And for a model of that in action, actually, Peter, I would send people in the in the Bible. If you look at Acts 17, where Mm -hmm. Paul is there in Athens and he wanders around, he sees all the idols and the statues. And he sees the altar to the unknown God. The unknown and God. rather than go, oh, you stupid Athenians, what are you doing? He's like, oh, an unknown God. Let me tell you who that is. Yeah. yeah. And I think we can use that approach with Muslims, yeah. that rather than affirm that the Quran is the same, we can go, come on, come on home to the God who, uh, the God who is there for you and has revealed himself in Christ.
Yeah, one one question that I kept thinking about, and maybe this is not fair to ask you because you're you're a, 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 a you studied Islam, not Judaism. But could we not make the same claim about mm. Judah? I think that there are some similarities, but there also yeah. would be some distinctions in how the Jewish people see God. Yet I think we would agree that it is the same God. Yes. It's just that. Yeah, brilliant so, question. Absolutely brilliant question. Two things on that very briefly. Firstly, of course, remember that most of the first Christians were, were Jewish. So, yes. you know, Paul, who wrote a large chunk of the New Testament, mm-hmm. he was a Jew mm-hmm. um, and then became a follower of Christ. And so there's this continuity between Judaism mm-hmm. and Christianity. The Quran, although, as you said in your intro, although it uses similar stories uh, from the Bible, most of the more recent scholarship that's been done critically on the Quran would say that what Muhammad, the founder of Islam, did is he kind of picked up these bits mm-hmm. of tradition and then built something new mm. out of them. A bit like, a, you know, my son loves playing with Lego bricks and he will, you know, build a castle, knock it to pieces and then build a rocket ship. There is no right. continuity between the rocket and the castle. Mm. He just mm. uses the same pieces. Mm. And that's going on with uh, with Islam. But what I would say with, with Judaism, a very sloppy answer that Christians sometimes give here is, well, of course, Muslims don't worship the same God because they don't believe that Jesus is God. Mm. And I always push back and I do in the book actually push back hard on that and say, for that reason that you say that's unfair on our Jewish friends. Our Jewish friends don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe Jesus was God, mm-hmm. but they are clearly worshiping the same God. However, they do believe that God is love. They do believe God is relational. They do believe God can be known and so on. And what I do in the book quite deliberately is take most of my scriptures. Mm-hmm. I actually take from the old Testament, the old Testament. Yeah, for yeah. this reason. And then in the, in the penultimate chapter, I show that all of those themes, God is love, God is relational and so on. They all culminate in Jesus because as Christians, we believe that Jesus was the was the supreme revelation, the self-revelation mm-hmm. of God. But it wasn't a new revelation. It wasn't God show Jesus shows up and the and the disciples are all, well, this is different to the Old Testament. Rather, right. they're like, oh, it's this makes sense of yep. everything that we've seen. Yes. Um, exactly. And that means we don't disenfranchise our Jewish friends, because you're right, that is so important. We don't yeah. do that. All right. Well, good. Thank you. We're going to leave it there. But uh, it's it's a great book for our listeners. If if you ever wondered <laughs> what some of those differences would be, or you ever asked these questions, this There's is the book, book to get. Uh, Do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? There you go. Andy, thank you so much for writing the book, for the work that you do, and uh, for telling us about it today. Thank you very much. It's been a real privilege to be with you today. Thank you. God bless. Andy Bannister is the director of the Solace Center for Public Christianity in Scotland. He is a teacher, a speaker, and the author of various books and publications, including The Atheist Who Didn't Exist. His latest book is Do Muslims and Christians Worship the Same God? You can find out how to get it at his website, andybannister.net, and also at solace.cpc.org. And if you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to it again, visit us at slmedia.org. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Hannah Schaefer, with her new single, I Am Yours. Some days I'm all alone and feeling so crushed. This world keeps tearing down what I build up and whispering I'll never be enough. Oh, so on those days, I'm casting all my cares onto you. You know exactly what I'm going through And you tell me I got nothing to prove I am chosen, not forsaken You've given me your name and washed away my stains You don't need me, but you want me Fear doesn't own me anymore 
Hannah Schaefer with her new single, I Am Yours. We met Hannah Schaefer a few months ago, December 2020. At just 24 years old, she had just released her first full-length album, Who I Am, last year, and you'd think that given the year that we had, she would have been taking a rest, but no. Hannah has been busy writing and recording, and she has been releasing singles, like the one we just heard, one at a time. And so, it's a good opportunity to catch up. I spoke with Hannah Schaefer earlier this week. Hannah Schaefer, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. It's so good to have you with us. I'm so happy to be here. So I, I know you've been busy. You've been writing some songs. You've been recording. Tell me a little bit about what the last year has been for you. Um, I know you just moved and there's a lot of new beginnings, but it's been a hard year. Yes. Yes, it has. I'd say this past year has been filled with a lot of growing, a lot of um, deeper, diving deeper into faith, into uh, the things that I have to say in my music um, and and trying to bring hope to people who do feel hopeless, who who are struggling. Um, Because I think I think everybody can attest that, you know, 2020 was a very difficult year. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you feel um do you feel that last year was a more fruitful year in that sense? Like like not just that you felt that you needed to put out stuff to give hope to people, but that stuff was coming out, spilling out of you? 
<laughs> Absolutely. I, I really do. I mean, when you're, when you're trapped in a very small space, <laughs> yes. you know, I, it's, it's um, a lot of time to just be in your mind. And for, mm-hmm. or well, if you were to talk to my husband, he'd be like, oh dear. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's also a beautiful time of reflection. And I do know a lot of other artists too, who also felt the same that I have and had Mm -hmm. during 2020 is, you know, with, with all the things that went on in the world, you know, not just COVID, um, it was a lot of things to process. There was a lot of things to process. Um, and it was constantly in our face, you know, on social media, because as we were quarantined, you know, what else is there to do besides, you know, for, you know, really just be online and, and scroll. And, um, it just made way for a lot of things to say. Um, it showed me that there was a lot of content that needed to be addressed within our faith and a lot of hope that needed to be shared. But at the same time, I think that you were able to, you and a lot of other people that I know were able to find, uh, I mean, you have your music, you've been able to continue teaching um, online, or, or I'm not sure if you're already teaching in person again. Um, what is your, the, that process for you for writing, for writing songs? Do you, is it always the same? Has it been different? Do you collaborate? Tell me a little bit about how these, I, I guess, these three songs came about. Yeah, all, all of them. All of the things that you just said is uh, usually a lot of songs start with a feeling, uh, an intense emotion, whether it's, you know, frustration or uh-huh. sadness. Um, but you know, other times it is just the obedience of, you know what, I mm. I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write a song. What do I want to say? And That's really, really think about, okay. Um, you know, I mean, it's just like any other practice, you know, if you're, you need to, you need to sit down and you need to do it often. Yeah. The discipline. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's you know music may seem like fun and fancy free but it's it's also very disciplined and especially when it comes to growing in your songwriting you have to be obedient. Um and and just understand that not every song that you sit down and write is going to be amazing. It's be it. Yeah, I know. Okay, wait, <laughs> let me let me let me stop you. Let me interrupt. So then how often do you do cuz I remember speaking to you know like Sarah Hart who's you know like, Oh yeah preeminent songwriter and she makes herself sit down every day and write and whether like you Mm -hmm. said whether it's crap or not but but that's the discipline do you how often do you make yourself or or are you did you find last year that there was less of making yourself but more of just just the organic process happening both for sure every day i think every day even if it's just a verse or a chorus or if i do have the opportunity to write a whole song i i at this point in my career i can't help it there was yeah. a, there was a time where I, you know, would skip a couple days and I'd be fine, but my heart needs it. It's therapeutic for me. Yes. Um, you know, some really awesome advice that Sarah did give me was to start reading poetry uh-huh, and yes. oh my goodness. So I have started to read poetry and it is definitely life-changing for becoming a better lyricist. Right. And so you know, always to be reading something that also yep. really sparks the mind to, to the creative juices. It really gets them flowing. So, <laughs> so a song, let's say a song like, uh, turn the ship around. Um, mm. where would that come from? Does that have anything to do with what's happening in the world? 
Oh, well, I first off had always wanted to write a song about forgiveness, a song Mm -hmm. about mercy. And a lot of the time that I was in quarantine, I was reading the diary of St. Faustina Kowalska. Yeah. Yeah. And I love her. She is my confirmation saint. Okay. And I actually never really understood why I picked her. Um, you know, most, you know, for most musicians, it would make more sense to pick St. Cecilia or a, a musical, right. uh, you know, saint. But yeah. I just had this strange, you know, um, desire to pick St. Faustina. And over the years, as I've grown in from being a teenager to a young adult to entering into my mid 20s that I'm. So, um, I need her like she's (laughs) her, her life has been such a witness to me in the diary that I've been reading her diary. I'd recommend it to everybody to read her diary. It's so beautifully written and it's just poor. It pours out. She pours out her heart and it honestly makes me feel closer, not only to her, but to Jesus, similar yeah. to Mary, you know, and not comparing her to Mary, but that, you know, yep. everything St. Faustina does and talks about in her diary leads me closer to Jesus, to encountering Jesus. So I wanted to write a song that captured that feeling of faith and hope and love and everything that she talks about mm-hmm. in regards to Jesus and his divine mercy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, powerful. Uh, there you go. Talking about uh, having to read something and there, and the first song we a- I ask you about is, is, is uh, inspired by something you, you wrote, sorry, you read um, uh, the other two songs crown, for example, is, was it a similar experience? So crown actually came from a, from more of a feeling versus it kind of like this obedient wanting type of direction. It came from frustration. I was thinking about how difficult it can be to be a Christian, you know, woe is me, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown. (laughs) Uh And I make, I make fun of myself now, but, um, I went into the writer's room in Nashville and I was like, I want to write a song that talks about that, that, um, sense that heavy is the head that wears the crown. It's, it is hard to be a Christian. And, um, it ended up turning into more of a surrender song. It ended up being, you know, they, they suggested they're like, Hey, what if instead of it being, you know, my crown, what if we say, Lord, I'm laying down my crown at your feet. You know, mm-hmm. you can have, you can have my crown. And then from there, you know, the Holy spirit just took over and helped me realize, you know, wow, it was, um, a very, very silly feeling to have brought into the room, you know, um, but you know, at hindsight, but at the same time, you know, it was a beautiful transformation for me to understand the power of surrender that right. it, when, when, you know, I, I think the world revolves around me or my pride, you know, that's when Christ is calling us to lay it down. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's two completely different uh, songwriting experiences right right there. Um, mm-hmm. um, uh, I, I, just in the little time that we have left, just as to close off, uh, why not wait and put out an album? Why put out singles throughout the year? I'm just wondering, curious to know, I, I know there's probably no right or wrong, but wh- why did you feel that you wanted to release the songs that way? Yeah. 
Well, we live in a culture that is obsessed with instant gratification. Right. Therefore, and, and, you know, music, making music is, is expensive. And so for, for us in this day and age to just put out a whole album where, you know, people will be listening to maybe one or two songs and then Mm -hmm. skip Mm -hmm. it's, it makes more sense logically, not only for the business and career aspect of a snowball effect, um, but just for the music, it gets consumed better nowadays by putting out single by single by single because people actually pay attention to every song. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And and I guess if if the time is right, maybe you can you can put them all together and do do an album. Oh, definitely. Um, and the plan yeah, is to put them sure. all in an album at the end yeah. in a couple months for I sure. I think you're right. Okay, well that's good. I guess that means that there's there's more to come, so we're there looking is. forward to that. Um Hannah, we're going to leave it there, but it's been really good reconnecting with you. I I love the the stuff that you're putting out. It, it's so different and and unique. Uh, so I'm looking forward to more from you. Ah, oh, thank you so much, Deacon. All right. Take care. That was a conversation I had with Hannah Schaefer earlier this week. You can find out all about her at her website, hannahschafermusic.com, and you can download her music wherever you get your music. If you missed part of our conversation or if you want to listen to it again, just head over to our website, slmedia.org podcast. Here now is Hannah Schaefer with her single, Turn This Ship Around. Troubles lie ahead, inching closer to the edge. We're sinking or swimming, heavy words were thrown, turning our hearts to stone. Such a hopeless feeling, we need forgiveness and closure. Let mercy take over. With a little bit of faith, a little bit of hope, we can turn this ship around. Listening to Hannah Schaefer with Turn This Ship Around, and that concludes this special edition of the Saltonite Hour. Remember to visit our website, SOMedia.org. That's where you can listen to all our programs and not just podcasts. There's a lot of content there, videos, and our blog. You can also find out everything you want to know about Saltonite Media and how you can support our ministry, because we cannot do this program and our work without your financial support. That's SOMedia.org. If you have any comments or questions, send them. You can email me, pedro at eselmedia.org, or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just look for Deacon Pedro. 
Thank you for being with us today. I am Deacon Pedro, and this has been a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. <laughs>